A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey folks, do you want to make some money making picks on MLB games? Then all you have to do is head over to Underdog Fantasy. It's the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. You pick two to five players, you get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with my promo code, PULLHITTER, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to 100 bucks. So you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's underdogfantasy.com or underdogfantasy in the app store. Sign up with pull hitter at the promo code and get your first deposit doubled up to 100 bucks. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the dead pull hitter. Just a reminder to head over to patreon.com and search pull hitter if you want to join the Meatball Mafia family. It's a free week trial for the $5 entry tier. And you get the two additional launch angle podcasts that I do with Rob Silver and Jeff Zimmerman behind the paywall. And additionally, you get my daily pods with recaps of box scores and breaking down some pictures that are actionable to us for free agency and going forward and on top of many other things. And also the lineup pod that I do to help you set your lineup for NFBC leagues and Fantrax League that go Monday to Thursday and Friday to Sunday. This pod is uh, me and Dom, the bullpen guru, breaking down our process through the 2024 second annual Pull Hitter Podcast Too Early Meatball Draft, which was accompanied by Bubba, Casey Bubba, Steve Weimer, Jenny Butler, James Anderson, Dan Kenyon, Zach Waxman, Ryan Venancio, Jason DuPont, Dom, me, Ryan Roof, Mike Mager, John Fish, Jake Hallisker, and Ryan Bloomfield. We drafted seven rounds live and we're continuing in October, slow drafting in a 50-round draft and hold NFBC draft champion style. And it was a pretty cool process. It's a pretty good exercise to get your mind going for next year as well. And seeing the trends, what might be some early drafting trends. So in this pod, we just discussed our our process through it, how we prepared for it, what we thought about it, what we did, you know, kind of liked and what we didn't like about our draft and what we liked from other people as well. So hope you guys enjoyed this little breakdown. But uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about our <clears throat> too early meatball draft last year, the second annual pole hitter, too early meatball. You're new to the group, yep. Dom, uh, Brian Slack, who's um, right now, I think, second overall in the main event. He is supposedly retiring from this 
fantasy baseball game, which he, you know, talk about going out on top. Or, I mean, I don't think he'll ever have a bad season anyway, so he can never really go out in a bad way. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's thinking about stepping away from the game, and he's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this. So spot was open, and I think, you know, yeah, I think you were – you were first one in last year too, where I think it got filled up, and uh, you were, so good though, and it was fun. I think it, for several different reasons, it got me looking in places that I haven't looked all all season. Yeah, you know, and I think that was the biggest takeaway from me prepping for it was um, there's players that you don't have that you don't really break down weekly, you know, because they're not on your team and. I think we're so forward driven with everything, especially with me doing all the content for the Patreon. It's always just really breaking down who our next ads can be in fab and always concentrating on that. And because, you know, you're not going to sit Kevin Gausman anyway. Right. Right. Um, So you don't really have to break him down so much, but you want to see what Michael Lorenzen's pitch change was or whoever Brandon Williamson's getting better. Why? Um, So it got me to peel back and I was, I did a little bit of um, did a little bit of uh, I don't know. Last year I had a very simplified approach, and I got destroyed in the draft because I was just I made bad picks at the end. Or I mean, Tim Anderson in round five. At that point last year, we didn't know he was going to be Tim Anderson this year. You know, there was yeah, you know. Being that I took him with still Corey Siegel and Juan DeFranco on the board was probably terrible, but um, I still uh, I still thought the skill set was there. But like Vinny P in sixth round, Nick Liddell in the seventh round, those guys destroyed me. Yeah. Anyway, I I didn't I kept it simple last year, and I don't really ever keep things simple. So that been that's been bugging me the whole season. That's why everyone was making fun of me on the podcast that I went through such effort to do such things. But it's also the great influence of my friend Steve Weimer, who will <clears throat> try to be as accurate as he thinks he can be, you know, with trying to project next year already. And I admire that. So kind of went a little bit off of um, a couple of the ideas he threw out. But I, I threw some stuff into Tanner Bell's spreadsheet, you know, the SGP sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, I aggregated a couple of different things. I know there was not projecting for next year. There is Zips 2024, which I, I, I put in a little bit. It had like a really small value just because I had to um, really taper back a lot of um, – there's a lot of rookies and, and possible guys that might not even be up next year that have great stats, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just the way his program spits it out. So um, – but I did a little Steamer 600 update. And I did a little bat X rest of season and Raz Ball rest of season. I just again Tanner Bell has an aggregator and I just kind of played with it until Yeah. I just I just uh he's got one like that has a has a, a playing time um weight and then a skills rate. So um I I tweaked in until how I felt it was and probably that's probably the bad thing to do with projection to it's a tweak them like that, but I actually, you know, I landed on like a list that I was looking at and I was looking at my leaderboards and some of the stats this year. It's like, this is kind of good. It kind of makes sense. I kind of feel comfortable with this list. So that's what I did to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Didn't take me super long. It's more just looking at the positions itself and just kind of seeing what they were doing this year. Yeah. That's what I really um, enjoyed this process. Um, even a uh, player on the Mets, like Francisco Lindor, just, uh, 
we really didn't realize he improved his barrel rate and his exit velocity on fly balls. This is the best of his career. There's it's a lot of things that I haven't been keyed on all season long. And then also, too, the second part of it that was really eye-opening was already starting to think about who's going to have positions for next year, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the thing that really was like, whoa, um, this could be it's, – it's good to get ahead of it now for just – a couple of notes real quick is um, so Mookie's already good for second in outfield next year, but he's also 16 games of shortstop. So he's four way. You, you need 10 in season to be eligible that season, but the NFC 20 gets you registered for the next season at that position. Obviously they have Rosario and Kike there now and Rojas. So he probably won't get it, but just that he might is pretty interesting. You got your Melendez and Varsho won't be catchers, right? Yeah. Um, that's huge. You got, um, obviously Ellie has two positions, third and short. That's big. Matt McClain, second and short. That's big. Gunner's got the third and short. That's huge. And then you realize CES got 10 at first base, you know, and two at third. And you're like, man, is he going to get anything? Because if he's utility only, obviously next year he can fall into it. Like I said, it's only 10 in season, but going into the draft, you know, with you till only kind of stinks. Well, won't, um, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he be first base eligible if he if he plays ten at first? Like, would it? Wouldn't it just be the whatever the primary the most is? position? Uh, yeah, that, I think. I guess I think, nineteen at DH would would that qualify? Oh, for? yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that would, would just okay. make him utility True. only. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So. So, so um, he's got to get ten more. Got to get ten more first to be. It's gonna be tight. You got to hope they get a lot of lefties. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's going to be the only shot he, you know, he, he gets it at, or if he gets moved into it at a certain point of the game that he, yeah. he still registers for it. But, um, and the biggest one, which I think was, was rightfully taken advantage of in the second round, where I almost took um, this guy over my second round pick of Gavin Galvin, but Bryce Harper has got 15 games at first base. And Bryce Harper at first base is very juicy for next season. Yep. <laughs> Especially if he does his usual, you know, 12 to 15 steals. That's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. Um, so those are the little things in prepping for it that I, I found helpful. Um, and, and just to get the ball rolling for next year. I know people might think we're nuts. But to me, my favorite part about this is I just love how Draft Champions is this huge forecasting event, right? We're trying to forecast who can help us. You know, like Jason Foley, I have on several teams and even at a 47th round pick to come in and just give you three saves at this point of the season. It's so big for some of the teams that I have. And um, so anyway, I just think this is like an extension of that. It's almost like this mini, um, you know, like it's like a totally different league in some ways because you're just trying to forecast it now. But then when that, you know, when we resume, um, you're already lined up and you have this good base, at least, of, of getting ready to go, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I mean... How'd you get ready for it? Well, so, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, looking at the the league itself, you know, the whole thing, I was just like, just don't screw up. Just don't do something stupid. So, um, <laughs> I, I did the same thing you did in terms of the position eligibility. So, I looked mm-hmm. and, like... Um, you know, like just made notes of like anything that changed. So like obviously Bobby Witt 
is just shortstop next year. He loses the third base. Tatis only outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, Jazz only outfield. And then, yep. yeah, the catchers. So, like, Varsho, um, Henry Davis also is another catcher that loses the catcher eligibility. Um, and then just kind of looking at, like, those positions and mm-hmm. seeing, like, um, you know, what – Oh, Byron Buxton is only UT eligible next year. He hasn't played a single game in the outfield. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so just looking at that and then seeing, like, you know, is there any position that I feel strongly about is weaker than others? Yeah. Um, and so I just did – I ran bat at uh, bat and bat X the rest of the season. Um, There's, like, 40 games left. So just did a uh, sloppy, you know, 4X that just to get mm-hmm. annualized um, everything um, and just kind of laid it out that way and, you know, ran my SGPs um, by position and, and uh, you know, laid it out there. Um, and, you know, I think the thing for me that I learned, and this is a uh, Steve Cohen quote, is hope is not a strategy because I had the nine spot and I, <laughs> I loved the top eight. And I was just like, oh, all I need is like one person to follow me and I'll be fine. And uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was not prepared. And, uh, you know, I think I, I, I took the strategy with my first pick of like kind of the carryover from last year. Where I was like, all right, well, Jose Ramirez gives you something at a position at a weak position that nobody not, you know, not a lot of other guys do in terms of like his speed and uh, still, you know, his stolen bases and power. So I, I went with Jose Ramirez. But if you, if I could do it over again, I would take the guy you took right after me or um, Garrett Cole instead. Um, so I kind of wish that because the one thing I realized was like third base. There were a lot of third basemen I liked, and I, the values on third basemen uh, I liked as well. Like Devers went mid third round. Machado went late fourth round josh young went the beginning of the seventh round i think that he's gonna jump up a lot when uh dc's open up i don't think he's gonna be a late seventh rounder so there's a bunch of guys that i i targeted like i put you know big red target on my sheet for those players even even riley like early third is is nice too so i think uh you know i just regretted taking a third baseman um especially what I kind of passed up on in terms of what Tucker could have given me. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, my goal was don't, don't mess it up. And here I am talking about how I messed up the first. Traffic. <laughs> I don't think I messed it up, but I, I think I, I could have done a little better than, than what I did. I, I still, I still think Jose Ramirez is probably like a late first round pick, but um, I definitely would have liked Tucker over him. Yeah, I was kind of shocked that you took J-Ram. Not that I don't think J-Ram's good. Um, I just think I, I thought that once, you know, the Betts and the Rodriguez went and I was expecting those guys to go, I just thought, oh, you know, Carol and Tucker are definitely going to be going off the board. I had a tough decision between Tucker or Carol. Um, I think you made the right choice. I'm I'm a little worried about Carol's shoulder. Um, I guess that. That's that's the only thing that's in my head as as um, a little bit of a concern. I, I'm not. I mean, he's shown that he can he can play with it, and I think that it's easy to 
for me, it's easy to say, oh, you know, the, the recent slump is from his shoulder. It definitely could be a link, right? But it can also just be, I mean, the, he's been so good in his first, you know, whatever, 600 plate appearances. And this could just be, uh, on, you know, yeah, a, it's slump. a slump. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be because of the shoulder. So those are the questions I was asking myself. Um, you know, and it's like, yeah, he has 14 more stolen bases than Tucker this season. And that's that's fine. That's substantial, and I get it. But um, Tucker is about as safe as the batting average floor we can get. Um, just just with his overall skill set, his contact skills in the zone. He's got one of the biggest zone swing minus O swing gaps in the league, and he had that last year. And I just think that just tells you his swing decisions are just so good. Um all around everything across the board for Tucker is just so, so beautiful to me. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that um, I obviously would have, uh, you know, took if like Wit was there, Tatis, that would have been no brainer, obviously, yep. to me. But me I think even at seven or six or seven, as much as um, I love Tatis and Wit and Betts and J Rod, I think that Tucker should be should be talked about with those guys. Um, I don't think that there's anything on the field he can do. He's at 25 and 24, so he's going to probably do 30-30 with a near 300 average, and that's not something you see all the time. Nope. I agree. <laughs> and I just uh, – and, and and just like career trajectory-wise yes. too, like he's on the upswing. I think Jose Ramirez is clearly on the downswing. Um, so – <laughs> I agree. Yeah, just the yeah. guy I took. I'm not happy with it already. Yeah, <laughs> no, this is you're killing me. With, you're killing. Yeah. Me. <laughs> but no, it's. I mean, honestly, it's a good like learning. Um, yeah, it's a good like lesson for myself. Like, yeah. you know, you you have to you you can't hope that a guy you like falls to you because you're drafting with people that are too good to let that happen. You have yes. to be prepared for the spot that you have like i knew what spot i had and like why did i say i only want one of these eight guys when i was drafting at the ninth spot that's fucking stupid just like spend a little more time and figure out who the ninth guy is and then you're not gonna beat yourself up about it because you would have been prepared so um good you know just a good lesson for myself like a good reminder for myself so yeah again not like i don't hate it i just think i could have done better so like next time do better um <laughs> yeah no i i know it's it's uh it's tough it, he was actually again I, I said one of the biggest things that helped me with is diving in and there there are no red flags in the profile there's, there's just some yellows you know it was just enough yellows for me to have him as a um I think I had him on my board. It was like a try not to pick him, but okay if I do kind of mm. player, you know, mm. like just thought like maybe two because of how he went in the gladiators uh, at the all-star break. I saw there was a lot of uh, negative stuff for him. He went in the second round a lot, you know, so kind of in my head, I thought that too, like, well, if he happened to slip into the second round, you know, that, that might be something to take advantage of. And I probably would have, you know, like, Someone like Ellie De La Cruz, I probably would have took over him. Um, Cole as well. 
Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It's just different. Uh, I it, J Ram can easily go ten and ten the rest of the season and still look like the same old J Ram. You know, it's just, and that's the thing. How we just mentioned prior to us podcasting, how much. <laughs> We already, if, um, our thoughts have already changed on a player since last night because they had a good day today, right? Oh, LA, yeah, LA, 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 LA Taylor Cruz. Six like, RBIs. I would have took him at nine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just so how, how influenced the, that we get by um, by one game or you know, yeah. one at bat. But I um, I didn't have like a, a breakdown I wanted normally. You know, I'm just trying to, I want to have this and this. Like, Kind of one thing I think I want to do on probably a lot of a decent amount of my DCs is kind of do the John Fish um, and James Anderson route with picking a couple closers. You know, um, did, did you do that too? No, you, yeah, I did. Oh, you did? Maybe. You got, <laughs> I, I, oh, you got uh, Hater, yeah, Hater yeah. Munoz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did that too. Um, Iglesias Diaz for Fish, um, for James Anderson, Class A. David Bednar in the second and the sixth, which is pretty good. Um, I definitely ain't gonna be involved with some of those tandem relievers in some of my DCs. I think it's if you do a bunch, um, I think it's definitely a route to take in a handful of them. You know, um, yeah. but it's again, nice. we're we're so thinking this this closer thing is new, but next year it could be all scrambled again with several 100%. opportunities, right? You know, it's, it's, it can always change. Um, so I didn't have a, a, I kind of wanted to do it. If it felt for me, I probably would have t- taken Batista. If Ruth didn't take him right before me, he was in the discussion. I was really hoping Seager made it back to me. Um, thought Mike Mager made a great pick there. Despite the lack of steals, I don't think people realize that James Anderson wrote this in his article too on rotowire.com about this draft. And um, Steve Weimer wrote about this in the FTN draft guide about how much more scarce average it is at the top of the, even more so than stolen bases. People think I got to get stolen bases, but having someone with so many pre appearances batting 300, 330, like a Freddie Freeman, like Corey Seager. Yeah. People don't understand the anchor that gives you. And yep. I thought that was a great pick in the 12th round. So some people on Twitter criticizing that a little bit. And I think they just don't really realize how Seager's been. I saw a lot of not going to buy the career year talk, but I know the Bowery 90%, but it was 16% in another year. He's had the hard hit stuff. Um, he's put together stretches like this. This is not a career year in terms of, He's not doing anything outlandish. He's not doing anything where he can't repeat. Yeah. You know, all this is sustainable. He's shown it before. He just got hurt, right? To 2021, he got hurt. 2020 was a short season. Um, so there's this point where he's been this Corey Seager. Um, will there be some regression maybe on batting average? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? But um, I don't know. Watch him play, and he's so locked in. He looks great. I thought that was a great pick. But, yes, yeah, so I didn't have a – a, a clear like I want two starters or this or that. I just kind of just like, all right, let's see who the best player is at that time. So it kind of felt like that. I got a uh, Tucker, Galsman, Harris, Gunner, Grayson. Um, one of maybe my favorite picks of the whole draft for myself um, is Paul Goldschmidt in round six at pick eighty, and then I rounded out with Glaber at pick seven. Just love the. 
he's going to end up with another 25, 15 season, <clears throat> and the skill set's getting better. But for Goldschmidt, I really – it's funny because he was one of the players I broke down a little bit more in depth than um, some others this season um, for prep for this draft because I had a it's, – it's, it's so funny. I had this little list of players that I felt like might – not get as much love as they previously got. And he was on the list. And so that was my strategy was to just be like, okay, if the opportunity comes to pick one of these guys, I just need to know a little bit more about them that I want to figure out on the fly while we're drafting, you know? Mm. And so when I dove into him, I don't know. I saw like, wasn't that different on pull fly balls. Same. Um, Yeah. The OPS dropped 981 to 815. But I think you have to realize how much like of a great year he had last year, right? He still got 20 homers, 10 stolen bases, 275 average. Um, none of the none of the swing stuff or like swing decisions, none of the like contact rates. Everything is the same. Um, everything is exactly the same. So barrel rate the same as it was last year. He's so consistent, right? He's so consistent. So um, I just think like. At that point, the draft was so funny because I really said – I told myself prior to the draft, I feel like Paul Goldschmidt's going to be a guy I have to make a decision on, you know, because there's more sexier guys. There's guys I had on my list that I like better, but he projected – at the time I picked him, he was way ahead of everybody else in my ranks, like SGP-wise, and I was like, I got to take him here. And Venancio still he, – he loves to pick. He texted me. And he said, he told me that he he just thinks that's going to be the best pick of the draft. I'm like, I I thank you for being so excited about it because uh, I just hope he doesn't just have one of those years that we're like, oh, of course, why didn't I see this? He's 35 years old, you know? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of those obvious moments, but yeah, I'm, but the, I'm happy I mean, that's it. good. That's a good point, though. Is like you know, like you know, a 35 year old, you know, kind of boring, yes, player isn't gonna you know, be as interesting as, you know, like a, I don't know, O'Neill Cruz or, or whoever. So like, you know, mm-hmm. to know, you know, knowing who you're drafting with and who they might be excited about and who they might be focusing on and who they might not be focusing on and how to take advantage of that. That's the game, right? Mm-hmm. And, and first base is kind of weak a little bit. I think there's yeah. some, there's some guys who like the the next best guys that haven't gotten drafted are like Josh Naylor, Ryan Mountcastle, Torkelson, Casas, uh, Nate Lau, Alo, Nate Lowe, Vinny P. You know, I don't know how he. I think he might be sneaky next year. I think people might be a little off of him because mm-hmm. he didn't have this breakout year and he got hurt. So I think he might be at a decent ADP next year. But I just kind of looked at that and I was like, all right, first baseman should probably be, be a little bit prioritized. And you know, I definitely could have took Alonzo early or Matt Olson. I didn't want to take them in the second round, like early second round. So, um, but I said that this year and I, I don't have power everywhere. So let's <laughs> make the same mistake again, but um, I'm pretty happy with some decent power speed options that I got in Tucker and Harris. Yeah. Um, Michael Harris was the toward the end of the third round and I didn't draft him anywhere this year. Cause there was still some part of his swing and stole the the whole youngness of him to just again that could be is is this a hundred game sample uh, him or is it you know and 
like he went a little bit too early for my liking this year. So I kind of like kind of faded him, but so seeing him get better in certain areas and it's pretty much looks like this is him. You know, I felt a little more confident that he could project that because he still projected pretty well this year, but I didn't really trust it. Um, so um, I was pretty happy with that. Gunner, I took right before you. It was him or Matt McLean, who you ended up taking Matt McLean. So that was a little bit of a uh, one of those feelings like, okay. And and Hassan Kim, who, who Roof took right before me, was also in the discussion. He was one of the guys who was thinking in my head, like, am I going to be so stupid for taking him this early? You know, is this... Is, <sighs> I don't yeah. know because he's, a, he's great, I, I, and I have him everywhere this year. I I went all in on Kim and every kind of league you could think about: best ball, NFBC, home league, and um. So those three guys, it's so funny they went in a row because they were really. I'm gonna get one of these guys up the middle, you know, and mm-hmm. um. So that was I went Gunner over McLean. Just I think um some of it has to do with. Do you love the. The Orioles, near Orioles the fan. Orioles, but also to, <laughs> to me, it's also like the whole number one prospect thing. Like he has a chance to be a lot better than McLean. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the thing. Um, and McLean, I guess the strikeout rate's a little high, but I still think the power speed and Great American Ballpark with that team is so yeah. great. Yeah. Um, and McLean too. I'm just like, what helps him is he does play in Great American Ballpark. He does hit a lot of his barrels like and hard hit shots to center and oppo. So those homers can get, you know, maybe a little dried out in a different park um, as he's traveling on the road. But anyway, just went with Gunner. I don't think there's any bad pick there. And um, the other pick, I'm... <sighs> it's so funny because I knew you were going to do it. Right before I picked Grayson Rodriguez, you picked Aaron Nola. And this is the fifth round. You know, this is... a Third round Aaron Nola this year, who's still in the top 10 in strikeouts. And he's still, you know, obviously there's all these flaws about Nola that people don't like, but he still gets it done, you know, as a as an anchor pitcher. You know, like whatever, if you don't want to call him an ace, you don't have to call him an ace. But he's a right. good anchor pitcher. He gets you innings. He doesn't miss starts. He never gets hurt. And he racks up K's. So that works for that. And when you said it, I can't believe I'm going there. I knew it. He was one of the guys I was looking at as as picking a pitcher with that pick because I had Gausman only. And as soon as you said that, at loud, I knew you were going to pick Nola. I was like, motherfucker, he's going back to Nola because I know how much of Ajita he gives you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, like at that point, I didn't have a starter. Um, there had been a huge starting pitching run right after yes. I took McLean. Like there really yes. hadn't been a lot of pitchers yet, but like – I liked Glass now. I liked Yuri. I liked Logan Gilbert. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take McLean now, and then I'll get somebody on the wrap. And they were all gone, and I'm, like, looking at my sheet, and Nola's, like, standing there at, like, you know, whatever, like the 40th-ranked player. But I had a big do-not-draft next to him just because, yeah, he's, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, cause like at that point I didn't have a starter and I, I was looking, I was between Nola and Grayson, but I was like, do I really want Grayson Rodriguez while I like him to be my like first pitcher in this league when I could get exactly like you said, you know, uh, 190 strikeouts in Aaron Nola takes the ball, hopefully 30 starts. Um, don't know where he's going to be pitching, but maybe it's a little bit better of a ballpark. Maybe it's a little bit better defense behind him. Um, 
you know, because like while he has whatever he has a four or five ERA, his his whip is still very tolerable um, this year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you could do a lot worse with your first starter in round five than Aaron Nola. So, but no, yeah, absolutely. it was frustrating for me because yes, he's been a thorn in my side this year. Um, just because I'm like, I think, I think, uh, Bloomfield said it, like, you're just waiting for like the, like signature Aaron Nola, like seven innings, you know, 12 strikeouts. And he just hasn't really done that this year. And he just can't stop giving up homers, just keeps getting hurt by the home run ball. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, but like the more I thought about, the more I keep thinking about it, and the more I like looked at this draft board and looking at the pitchers and stuff like that. Like, it does feel like there's like a top nine starting pitchers that really went in the first three rounds, which I have like I, I think I totally agree with, um, almost all of them. I, I kind of the Kirby one is I love Kirby. I just think, I think he might be very similar to Sandy this year where if anything goes wrong for him, like if he doesn't pitch 190 innings or so, I think you're going to be left wanting more from what the strikeouts he's going to give you as like your first starting pitcher. So it's like, you kind of need everything to go well. And like we are seeing this year with starting pitching, like how, how often does everything go well? It's not often, especially Mm -hmm. with these early pitchers. Like, there's just been a lot of injuries. There's been a lot of guys that were taking early, kind of coming back to the pack a bit. So it feels like there's a clear, like, top shelf of pitching. And then there's a big group of a lot of guys that I'm sure some are going to pop out and be, you know, worth second-round picks. But I just don't know if – people are going to feel confident enough in determining who those guys are going to be that they're going to jump. So yes, very interesting. I I think it's good. I think like how this draft went is going to be similar to how we see drafts go um, at least until like next spring when we have a little more clarity in terms of who's healthy, who's not, who's, you know, throwing harder, who's whatever, whatever it may be Um, just because there still are, a bunch of interesting pitchers that haven't even gone yet. So it just feels like there's this huge jumble of pitchers that are very um, similar. And I, and I pull the stat. Um, I don't know if you saw this, like right now this year, there's only five pitchers that have thrown 150 innings and have a sub three, five ERA right now. How many did you say? Five. There's only five starters that have thrown 150 innings at this point in the season and have a sub 3.5 ERA. Oof. Um, Four of them went in the top nine. Yeah. Yeah. Webb, right? Webb's, uh, the, top, Webb's the top guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zach Gallon? Gallon's one, yep. Um, Cole? Yes, Cole is one. Uh... Flambert? Oh no. no. Did he, he he knocked himself out of that, right? Yeah, I don't think he has the the I'll just give him um so it's Framber is a three five five. Yeah, um so it's right. it's Webb, Gallon, Cole, those are the top three. Luis Castillo is fourth. 
and then um, George Kirby's fifth. Hmm. Interesting. Nobody else. So it's like, you know, either it's it's injuries or it's not pitching deep into games or it's giving up too many runs. Like there's just not like the real elite starting pitching that stands out. You know, even Strider has um, – I think Strider stands out from a strikeout perspective, but even – his ERA on the seasons above it's three five seven, but that doesn't matter. I I know I know, but it's just when you when you dominate like him, you would think like yeah, Strider's got like a three one ERA. Grant, you know, I I know it's splitting hairs a little bit, but um, just given how dominant he is, you would just have thought his ERA is much better. So, um, yeah, it's just like a big. It feels like a big jumble of pitching there. Um. So, yeah, he's he's Strider. Um, it it it's pretty amazing, honestly. Just if if you if you're a projection guy and you run SGP, um, the difference between him and the second pitcher, if if you just give everyone like whatever, you keep their skill rates and you just give them each the same amount of innings, like mm-hmm. 180 or 200, whatever, whatever number, like arbitrary number you want to pick. But the, the difference between him and the, the second ranked pitcher is five, is nearly five game standing gains points. And that's the difference between pitcher two and pitcher 28. We just have to like. I don't think people realize the difference that he's. And even if you output it this year, if you just do this year's numbers, there's such a big gap between <laughs> the gap. Again, that's it's just so big, it's so wide. I think that Strider is just gonna be. I thought that was a great pick by Jenny B at at pick three because he's clearly with those bats. He he's clearly in discussion for me for the top top five pick without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Yeah, but the pitching, like you said, on a whole, I think is is there's there's some, you know, there was that heavy range this year that was popular, right? The 75, 80 range, so 60 to 80, right? With the Musgroves and the Darvishes and the Frambers that was kind of that next spot where you'd be like, all right, well, if I don't get any pitcher up at the top, I'm going to focus here and, and sometimes get two. And I think a lot of guys did that kind of route where they yeah. kind of waited and, 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 you know, picked from those bunches, like, Fish, you know, in, in round six and seven, got his first two starters in Urias and Musgrove, and I thought that was really good for sixth and seventh round to start off with those two guys. Again, guys who throw some innings and they don't have, you know, they're not going to hurt you in any single way. Um, but there is, yeah, like you mentioned, there is there is a group of guys that are up next that, I mean, Rodon didn't go. I don't know how everyone feels about Rodon, but still, you know, he was um, – He'd been through so much this year that it could just be this this crazy season he's had, right? And just it's hard to get over back and hamstring in the same year and still be yourself. Uh, Dylan Cease, the Sanger, there's Gavin Williams, Hunter Green, you know, Kershaw, Christian Javier, uh, and you got guys like Mitch Keller and Tanner Bybee. It's just so it's like a whole these, these whole new group of pitchers. I kind of thought like um, Hunter Green or Sanger would go honestly um, a little bit early, like. I thought they would have went last night, um, mm. but yeah, ton of strikeouts. You know, I think if you're, you need that good strikeout base in a DC. I thought 
I thought, you know, I thought Weimer made a great point about Otani too, that given, you know, it, given what we know now, it's, it's, it's totally irrelevant, but the right. thoughts going, the thought going into it is great. He took him at two last year too. And um, because we're picking so early in October, I mean, August and then finishing in October, it's, there's so much stuff that's going to be unsettled between pitching and hitting and, I think he ended up saying, like, uh, I think he told me he's thrown Otani for 55 innings on this team, despite what he's done at batting, because we drafted so early, right? And yeah. he's the kind of guy that you can, you know, draft. It really sucks that he, I can't, I was trying not to think about that. And I just thought about it again, and it's, it's depressing. I hope he could still hit. I hope he could still play, not even for, you know, um, selfish fantasy reasons. Just, I just want to see him get to fucking 55 homers or, you know, it's just uh, 55 homers and 20 steals. Some, it's just awesome. He's on the field and just want to see him do it. And it's a shame, man. It just really yeah. sucks. Yeah. Ah, man. So um, how'd you feel about the closers through the draft? Like you feel like there's a, I know there's, you know, it's, it's a lot of them went and there's, there's this whole, I guess, you know, like I said, less of a carousel this year. So do yeah. you feel like this is going to be something that holds or, you know? Uh, um... I, I, so, I mean, it's, it's obviously contest dependent, right? Like, so right now we've drafted seven rounds. We have 43 to go. Um, so much is going to change. You're going to want to probably load up on an extra starting pitcher or two that's at least what my mindset was, was like I'm drafting in um, August for next year, given how this season went from pitcher injury perspective. Um, I'm going to want to draft an extra pitcher to more than what I would normally have. And if I'm going to do that, I'm not going to want to have to speculate on like five closers on my roster. So I wanted, if I could get two closers, mm-hmm. um, so I was I was hoping that everyone forgot about Edwin Diaz. I I wanted to, like Edwin Diaz is my second ranked closer. Like just you know brainstorming, I would have I would go Bautista and then Diaz next. So you know as Class A and you know I took Hater um, because you know I still I I still think wherever he signs he's gonna close and and I was like all right well if I can get Hater and then. Diaz, that'd be sweet. Um, so I wanted to see how much he would fall and kind of like just, you know, scientifically see what, what would happen. But then, you know, Glacius, Doval, Williams, and then Alexis Diaz went. And somebody was like, which Diaz did you pick? And then like, boom, Edwin Diaz went right after. So I think, and everyone in in the draft room was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Um, so... Yeah, I just I I would prefer I like we don't know if it's gonna be as secure as this year or next year. It probably won't, but um based on the information we have now I'd rather um just get two closers and and maybe use one more um speculative spot on a position than take five shots later and waste up that much roster space. So um but 14 closers went in the first seven rounds of this. So um, it, it's aggressive. I think that in fab leagues and stuff like that, they'll fall kind of like what we saw last, last year. Um, 
closers went early in the DCs or went early in the DCs, went early in the gladiators. And when fab leagues came around, um, closers were dropping into, you know, the ninth and 10th round guys that were getting taken a little earlier. Um, so I think it's just contest dependent to be honest with you. Um, Mm-hmm. And like you know, I I kind of like snooped around and looked at what the best the top teams on the uh, in the DCs were doing, and like uh, I think they went Class A, and it, we we were talking about it last week, right? Where the guy that was in first last week had Class A and another closer, and didn't take another single closer the rest of the way, and I was like. I would love to do that in leagues that I'm rostering like Matt Bush and, and other things. And I can't um, get a starting pitcher that's going to get innings in. So that's the ch- one of the challenges I've had in my really early DCs is just not having enough adequate starting pitching. So I would agree with you. And James, I think James Anderson mentioned that in his article that he just prefers to <clears throat> like he'll take maybe one more catcher because he took two catchers early. I just saw a lot of people dump it on that. And again, when you get, he took um, Smith and Murphy. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you get a thousand plate appearances from two catchers and someone else is getting 400, 500, 600, because you waited and took Nick Fortes and, and um, you know, Connor Wong. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think people realize the the importance there of having those two guys just be completely locked down. There's several teams that I have two anchor catches like that, and on most of the time, I just took one, a third, really late. You know, yeah. um, and it just happened to be this year too when I maybe took um, two lesser catchers up at the top, and I. I targeted Jeffers and Wong in every single like DC. So there, there's a lot of my teams where Wong and Jeffers were my C three and C four. Then I'm starting them a lot over <laughs> some other guys, you know, that yeah. I took higher. So um, I think you could definitely wait to, to get um, catchers last year, but it might not be the same this year. I think yeah. I think those guys are going to rise, and I didn't see much at the bottom that you can kind of wait for. So I. I like that strategy again, having two closers, two catchers, and he doesn't have to spec on, he doesn't have to waste two spots on a catcher. He doesn't have to waste, like you said, Bush, Jason Foley, all those guys, all those Moes we were taking at the end of the draft. I have so many teams with Matt Bush, and I'm staring at him. Garrett Clevenger, right? Another fucking Mo. Uh, just all these guys that I, I just consistently took it. Oh, gotta get my specs now because, you know, uh, Fairbanks is my RP1. No, it's just – and again, this is also to knowing yourself, right? Yeah. Knowing knowing yourself as a drafter, what you can find well in the draft, that, that's obviously a big thing, um, you know, knowing where you can maybe – you, maybe you are better at finding – but again, because the overall winner last year, Steve Steve Mayer, right, he um, – he had all those specs at the end of the draft that worked out, like Ryan Helsley, right, and um, – uh, who are some of the other closers? He, he he got a ton of saves at the end of the draft, so he went that route, but you're not always going to nail yeah, five last, guys yeah. at the end. you know. Yeah. So, Any other um, thoughts you had about this draft? No, I mean, I uh, I honestly like don't think there were – I mean, I guess what was the biggest surprise um, 
Surprise pick or surprise yeah. build? A surprise pick. pick. Um. Okay, so I, I, I think the most surprise pick was Yandy Diaz was a little early for me. As much as I love Yandy Diaz, I, I think I'm the one of the biggest Yandy Diaz fans. I was surprised to see Roof take him um, right before I took Goldschmidt. I don't think um, it's a bad pick. I think it's just a surprise pick. You know. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um. I am was maybe a little surprised. Again, I think you mentioned like Josh Young going so late. I'm not surprised um, that Venancio took Riley Green in the seventh round, and I'm not surprised he went that high because um, I I really I'm a, I'm a big fan of him. Um, but I guess you know I was looking at the rest of the outfields available, and I totally see it. He's he's definitely in that next tier. I guess it was just a, it was just a surprise in a way just to see his name amongst all these other guys, you know? Um, yeah. Because it's getting to that range where it's just pretty much get who you like and who you think is going to project well. Um, maybe Yoshida at, at the end of the seventh uh, was maybe a little surprising. Um, up at the top. <sighs> so hard to really... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think really I think I, I, it. everyone I, did not, such a good job with yeah, the Yeah, I'm not I'm even like from a surprise standpoint, I'm not even like who fucked up. Like I think I think we did a really good job drafting. I mean, I think the biggest surprise pick for me and it's like not even in a bad way. I think it was CJ Abrams going in the 5th round to DuPont cuz um I think like when he made that pick, I think everybody was like, "Oh, I wanted like I think everybody like wanted him and but everybody was kind of playing a game of chicken where they're like, I want him, but like, I want him in like round six or seven. But I think collectively, like everyone's like, yeah, he probably should go like there. Like that's a good, that's a good spot for him to go to. So I think it was kind of like a surprise that like everyone was surprised that somebody finally <laughs> fucking took him. Um, there was also that stretch to, I think starting in that fifth, sixth round, where maybe the picks might not be as um, forecasted by others, and where we started to maybe get our guys per yeah. se, yeah. and the and then when you then when you heard that uh, th- there was a stretch, I listened back at the pod. I don't normally listen to my to my pods over, but that I wanted to hear everyone talking about their picks because I was so focused on you know trying to pick my own team. Um, and I heard so many of the, ah, you know, my last pick, it was either him or him. Um, everyone had, it was a run where everyone was saying the same thing. Ah, you know what? I was my last pick. It was either that guy or that guy. I was thinking about that guy. And it was all of a sudden, everyone was thinking about that, you know, that pick versus, you know, uh, it it was cool to hear that. Yeah. My lights in my office right now are turning from brighter to darker. Um, and at two forty in the morning, that's pretty fucking creepy. Um, so I just got this weird feeling in my body, and I don't know what to think about it. So, right. did you just see that? You no, see- I was I was looking. Okay, that. don't look at it because it, I don't know. Maybe you'll see like a a girl in in like a you know in the corner of my room or something that's just like a ghost. And I don't I, I don't want you to tell me if that happens. All right. Well, actually, I, I kind of do because I I fucking run through the sheetrock into the streets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad. Out. I'm glad you're a part of the draft. Uh, yeah, no, thank you now, for having me. I think it was awesome. 
Jake Jake Halsko put it in in our DM chat um, that this is an awesome tradition that that he's like really happy to be a part of, and I think he's right. Like, uh, just just cool um, that everyone wants to do this again, and it's cool seeing um, not 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 like we're doing it just to hear everybody else in the industry talk about it. Um, we're doing it for because we like it and it's fun, and um, I think it, it solves a lot of that discussion of people talking about now again it was the inspiration for us to do it last year with everyone wanted to know i wonder where j-rod's gonna go next year i wonder where this guy's and like oh well let's just fucking find out and so much and i think stuff we talk about in the adp so much of the adp did not change and it's so cool to see that and even with later picks like i mentioned like harrison bader pick 190 he stayed at pick 190 ADP all season. Um, it's just weird. It's just some like even after 323 draft champions, these some of the players ADP was the same. I think that's a cool feature that you could look at um, on the NFPC. You know, when you go to your team, then you go to the ADP page from a specific team. You can look at that draft and you could put it into a, a doc or whatever. Or you could just look on there and see the difference. If you toggle by the difference. Um, you could see the, the closest picks to EDP and where they were in the draft. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. That boggled my mind when I was looking at some cool notes to uh, bring up for the draft. Cool facts. Whatever. Yeah, really uh, it sets the tone. I mean, that, a it lot is. of it sets is the tone. people draft off ADP. Like I told you, I remember looking at this draft board when I did, because I signed up for the first <laughs> public DC and I looked because I was like, I don't have ADP. I'm going to draft off my gut, but I want to at least see like a, somewhat Quick. of what other people were thinking you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah it's fun lots of fun man i can't wait to get back up again i think it was brought up that maybe we should do another live seven round before we get into the slow draft i think that's something we're definitely gonna look into it's gonna be a ton of fun so yeah it was awesome but, uh yeah man cool good getting right. into this stuff with you good get good to hear your breakdown of um of what you were thinking going into this and uh hope everyone enjoyed it uh Again, if everyone's not a part of the Reliever Recon, go check them out. Go check out the Pull Hitter Patreon as well. Um, and um, we'll help you down the stretch, man. We'll, we'll help you guys ground out some wins and do everything we can to uh, lead you to some fantasy success. For my friend Dom and um, Rob, the Pull Hitter, and we'll catch you guys next week.